Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available for your good pleasure at Amazon in paperback and ebook. And if you're an audio buff, one through eight available at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes as well. And don't forget my latest book, UFO, Sightings and Encounters, Volume 1, W.J. Sheehan. Fantastic. You won't believe the accounts in there. Some of my own, some involving Bigfoot, which many of you have read, and many, many others. Over 50 accounts in this first volume of Fantastic UFO Sightings. And without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Fantastic, man. You know, I have to say something here. You know, we have a lot of listeners that chime in, and I talk to a lot of people. Uh, One such listener, Jonathan, and his lovely wife, Bonnie, in uh, Vancouver, Mm. uh, British Columbia, uh, I've been talking to uh, Jonathan for quite a while now. I consider him a friend of the podcast. And uh, he had a very strange happening a short time ago. Would you like to hear about it, Kev? I would love to hear about it. So relative to uh, my latest book, UFO, uh, Sightings and Encounters, Jonathan calls me with the following story. It was about 2 a.m. in the morning. He and his wife were asleep. They had shades drawn on their window. And he wakes up. Now, Jonathan, I know you're listening. If I louse this up at all, forgive me. He wakes up feeling a flutter in his heart. That was followed by some tingling or tinkling, rattling, if you will, of what sounded like pots and pans in the cabinets in his kitchen. Whoa. Yeah. So as this is happening, if that's not enough to wake you up, he looks over and he realizes there is light bleeding through the side edges, if you will, of the shades. So he's thinking to himself, why am I so tired If it's morning, he's thinking it's the morning because he's seeing, like, sunlight coming through the edges of the shades. 
reasonable. Right? Yeah. He gets he gets up, goes to the door, opens it up, and looks up. And guess what's above him? Dracula. <laughs> Not Dracula, okay. but some type of large, glowing, white light. <laughs> and he's looking around, and he realizes, uh, going through his punch list, that there are shadows being uh, uh, created by this overhead light uh, from all the trees around the property. And he also realizes that all of the houses that he could see visually in his, like, cul-de-sac in this neighborhood are illuminated by the same light. So it's not just him. Mm. And he said the sky was overcast, and he's trying to make sense out of whatever this is. No sound whatsoever. The night was overcast, and then this thing just kind of vanishes. And he said he thought he saw something within the light as it vanished, but it all happened so quickly, you know, no verification uh, uh, whatsoever of what he thought he might have saw as the light and whatever this thing was just kind of dissipated and split. And this thing's apparently pretty close to his house, right? Like it's not way up in the sky like a star. No, I mean, this was a massive, massive glowing light Mm. uh, over the house and or neighborhood. And what a freak show, huh? With his heart palpitating and uh, pots and pans rattling, chattering together inside the cabinets in the kitchen. Yeah, it sounds like an alien encounter movie or something, right? Yeah, I mean, but what a bizarre, bizarre thing. And I also have to tell you something else that is really of interest. Uh, We have uh, an account today that we'll get to that involves a certain amount of uh, synchronicity. Now, you know, many of our listeners have heard the word synchronicity, which really means kind of like the simultaneous occurrence of events that appear significantly related to each other but have no, like, discernible uh, causal connection to each other. And I always think that synchronicity has some type of meaning when things happen and you're like, wow, isn't that weird? Uh, But it happens more than we like to think. Now, I'm talking to Jonathan about this potential UFO encounter. And uh, we get on the subject of uh, Bigfoot and uh, uh, good sightings, uh, bad sightings. I'm not sure where the conversation went. It was just a general conversation. And I had mentioned one of my favorite uh, Bigfoot uh, uh, films was that of the... uh, I keep forgetting this, Kev. What was that one in... uh, where the monster was walking along the side of the road going through the bushes. Oh, yeah, up in uh, Canada. I, I, yeah. Uh, uh, it'll, it, Sandvine or something like that. <laughs> no, right. that wasn't it. It'll come to me. Oh, yeah. Craven. Craven, that's it. Craven video. Yeah, Craven. Now, I'm talking to Jonathan about Craven being one of the <laughs> most outstanding short clips I've ever seen. Yeah. Tur- turns out Jonathan met the guy... Who shot the footage? Oh, how cool is that? And 
he met this guy kind of uh, randomly. Uh, the guy to, wasn't. To, the guy wasn't standing on his deck the other night when he walked out and saw the UFO. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 he wasn't. I'm just uh, checking but, the level of synchronicity. Here. <laughs> he he had met this guy, and. Uh, just actually had his phone number at one time, but now it's disconnected. And the guy had said that he was so uh, overcome by ridicule and whatnot, having allowed some other Bigfoot people to post it uh, online, that he was kind of sorry it had ever happened. Yeah, we've heard that before. Yeah, and I say to myself, I don't know why these people... I think, Kev... It depends how big a community you live in, what your life and business is like, uh, what the outcome of a revelation like this is, speaking it to other people. Do you, you follow me? Oh, sure. We've talked about that before. It all depends on where you are in your life and what you do, uh, you know, sometimes for a living or with your family in your life. Like what stage of your life are you at? Where you may be later on in life and figure who cares what anybody thinks. Or if you're starting out your professional life and your family life, you might be like, I don't want to tell anybody this. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. So it's a, situ- a very much a situational thing. But apparently he was all excited, as I would be, uh, having caught this footage. And by the way, he was as that picture that little clip on youtube shows he was in the middle of nowhere on Mm. that dirt road oh yeah and uh there's a lot of folks up in canada and areas of the united states where their work brings them especially if you're in oil or gas uh pipeline industries things of that nature uh, they got to go out and check on these lines and pipes and valves and uh, everything else that are really stretching across hundreds of miles through forests and plains and valleys. And obviously, they get into some situations that you and I are never going to be in these locations in a 4 by 4 riding for six hours into nowhere. Yeah, and by uh, the way, up in Canada, especially some of these more rural parts of Canada, it's not that hard to be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know. I mean, you know, it's just bizarre. So yeah. so there you have it. I, I thought there was a little synchronicity there as well that I would mention this and Jonathan would say that, you know, I met that guy. <laughs> that is wild. And, and by the way, to our listeners out there, if you like me, and you grew up listening to rock in the 80s. You know, when you hear synchronicity, you're probably thinking of the Police album. <laughs> <laughs> At least I am. All right. I didn't even know the Police had an album. Was there it named go. Synchronicity? Yeah. It's a great All album. Right. There you go. <laughs> Walking in your footsteps and stuff like that from there. It's good. It's good. Maybe it's got a uh, cryptid twist to it. I don't know. I'll have to listen to it again. <laughs> Well, to most people, their only uh, interaction with the police would be up against the car. <laughs> yeah, not that police. Thank goodness. Hands behind the back. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you like bracelets. <laughs> Clink. Uh, so there you have it, Kim. So what do we have in a 
cryptids in the news and other oddities segment today. All right, Bill. Well, this one falls into the freaky deaky category. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it. It's I'm doing it based on popular demand. We've had a lot of people write in and contact us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com um about this particular sighting and it like i said it's freaky deaky it's definitely weird i don't know what to think about it so we'll talk about it um okay it's called the sandown clown sandown clown yeah so uh this is uh you know some of the sightings we have happen once they happen once and then they happen again several times and then they happen 30 years later. But sometimes the sightings just happen once, right? And this one only happened once in May of 1973. And it's in uh, a little town called Sandown on the Isle of Wight in the UK. So southern huh. UK and May 1973. So you haven't heard of this one, huh? I'll tell and you're saying sand like beach sand and down. Yeah, it's actually uh, only one D though. So S A N D O W N. That's the name of the okay. town, one word. And okay. the town's a little country town from what I can tell. And the sighting happened down by the seaside, but it's right next to like a little grass field airport, the Sandown Airport. And uh, and there's a golf course next to it, and there's like a creek that runs between the airport, the airfield, and the golf course all the way along, and a little walking trail along the creek, and that's where uh, okay. this sighting happened. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird, so we'll, we'll get right into it. So the uh, there's two children there. I think they're around 10 years old, 12 years old, 13, something like that. And they're vacationing at a place called Lake Common in Sandown in the UK. And uh, they're just walking along outside, you know, beautiful green grass area, some trees, not a lot of trees, though, just kind of tall, grassy area. And uh, they hear uh, what they think is an ambulance siren. But it's kind of weird because it's coming from like the middle of the countryside next to them. You know, there's no road. They're kind of walking along this little trail. And they Uh walk across a little footbridge across this creek and uh, go through the brush, like kind of work their way through a hedge. And they run into this weird looking being that they describe as a cross between a clown, a robot and an alien. Oh my god! <laughs> I told what you, a, freaky deaky. Yeah, what a combo! And yeah. you know, by the way, kid, if kids were if they were both ten or both eleven, twelve, whatever, at that age, you've got a handle on things. Oh yeah, yeah, they weren't four year olds or something, three year olds. They're out walking right. by themselves, so you know they're responsible kids that have a handle on things. Yep. So so uh, so, how big you think this thing is? Uh, 10 feet tall. About seven feet tall. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And it, I'm going to put a, a, an artist's sketch of this guy up on our website under this episode, uh, Podcast 143, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. 
And uh, this thing is as freaky as it sounds. So I'm going to describe it to you. So about seven feet tall, but it has kind of human-like proportions, meaning it has two arms, two legs, a round head, facial features, you know, feet, hands, right? Stuff like that. But it has, Uh its hands have three, like, uh, appendages on them. So instead of having four fingers and a thumb, they just got these three big fingers, I guess you'd call them. And then its feet also have three big toes and nothing else on them. Wow. Wow. So no shoes. No shoes. No shoes. No shoes. Right. And it does have on clothing of sorts, but weird, which we're going to get into, all right? And the being's head is round and kind of too large for its frame, and it's shaped like a perfect sphere. So to me, think about the old jack-in-the-box clown, you know, from the restaurant jack-in-the-box or the modern-day jacks, if our listeners know that. So, you know, typical Uh sphere-headed freaky looking clown right (laughs) and the skin yeah this so the skin is very white so kind of pure white and it looks a little bit like paper right and the face seems to be kind of crudely painted onto its face you know onto its head so to speak so it's got these two blue triangles that look like they you know, represent where the eyes would be. And a flat brown rectangle is where the nose is. And the mouth is basically these thin yellow lips. And then it has, of course, this reddish frizzled hair sticking out from underneath its hat, right? Every creepy clown has to have red hair. Poor Bojo. <laughs> Including Ronald McDonald, by the way. The yeah. freak. <laughs> <laughs> And you too, Hamburglar. You're a freak too. (laughs) And then it has this pointy hat on, Bill. Like almost, to me, uh, a little bit like the Tin Man, but not made out of a funnel. But, you know, it's got this pointy hat with the hair sticking down underneath it. And then it has these wooden slat-like antenna extending um, from, from the head and also the hands and the feet, like out coming out from under the sleeves of uh, its shirt or whatever you'd call it, and then out the end of its pants down by its ankles. These kind of, they described it as wooden-like antenna kind of around the rim. And again, you'll see this in the artist's drawing. It is so off the charts, unbelievable. I know. Just like a hodgepodge thrown together, creating this ultra bizarro visage of whatever you would call this thing. Robot, clown, alien, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, the description is like ridiculous. So it gets better. (laughs) (laughs) Buckle up. So they walk up to this thing. So these are some pretty brave kids, you know. And uh, it's carrying a microphone and some type of box. Basically, when it talks, the sound of its voice comes out through this box, kind of like a public address system that it's carrying. Okay. Okay. And um, 
it tells them that, you know, it's frightened of humans and it really has no way to defend itself from humans if it were attacked. All right, which is kind of weird. And kind of. Yeah, it says it drinks water (laughs) from the stream after it cleans it. And it says it gathered wild berries, which it ate in a very odd manner by thrusting its head forward and somehow moving the berries back and forth between its eyes and then down to its mouth. What a crazy. Yeah. And it's it's relaying this message to these two kids. Yep. And then apparently it had this little uh, like uh, pencil and paper board. And they, the kids said that it could write in English. And um, it, it wrote down that its name was Sam. So that's how we get to uh, Sam the Sandown cl- Clown, uh, which it's known as. And oh then it goodness. said, what kind of being are it like are you human are you a ghost and uh and um the uh the clown wrote that it was all colors whatever that means yeah i mean it means nothing to us right wow and then so get this it takes them not too far away you know just they don't mention how much distance, but after reading the story, it seems like it was like maybe 20 yards away. They walk together with this creature, and it walks into this two-story, like, hut um, right there near the lake. And it says the walls were papered with blue-green dial patterns, and the floors were metallic. What a- and I gather after the fact this hut doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Yeah, when the, the kids came back with adults, there was nothing there. Wow. And, you know, right away you have to say to yourself, uh, to what end would these two kids get together to weave this ridiculous story? Yep. Uh, I, I wonder if uh, the two of them, their stories jived. They did. Uh, so get this. So they they say, uh, like following up on this story, the children were insistent that this encounter really happened for the remainder of their lives. So they talked about it, you know, into adulthood. And they said that the parents initially didn't believe them. But when they continued to talk about the encounter in vivid detail, um, the parents uh, contacted the authorities, and all the details were logged in the archives over there in the UK. Huh. Now, uh, so they go into this hut with this uh, being, whatever the heck it was. What What was the end of it? How did uh, they? They lose don't. Stay, yeah, they don't say anything about it. I assume they, uh, you know went and said goodbye and went back and told their parents and parents didn't believe them. And then when they came back, there was nothing there, including the hut or uh, Sam, the Sandown clown wasn't around either. What a strange freaking thing, man. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. Of course, you know, possible explanations, the obvious ones, right? Maybe it's somebody wearing a costume, you know, some freak show. 
uh, hanging out there in the countryside with this costume on, but it doesn't explain how the hut disappeared, you know, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. You know, is it a uh, some type of weird-looking alien thing? I don't know. It sounds a little too weird for, for being an extraterrestrial, terrestrial, but who knows? Um, and then uh, is it, you know, what they call a shared hallucination, like both kids hallucinated it at the same time or it's a hoax i don't think it's a i don't think it's a hoax like the kids are making up the story um but and it started out with hearing a siren yeah 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 and that's the one that like say this was somebody wearing a costume and they got this little pa system you know how you have one of those uh megaphones or whatever it has like a siren on it to get people's attention so they talk about that like maybe the siren came from the box you know Mm -hmm. from the pa system but i i don't Mm -hmm. know just i i promise freaky deaky it's freaky deaky yeah you delivered and And a lot of folks uh, have written in on this one the sand down clown hey cab make sure you cover the sand down clown wow yeah, it is bizarre. And don't forget, it was 1973. Right. Uh, I mean, there was a lot available in 73. Uh, nowhere's near the amount of stuff we have today as far as uh, uh, video and audio and everything else you can imagine. Right, right. Uh, right. You know, I mean, I remember watching Dick Tracy when he had his little wrist radio, and we were like, wow, can you imagine? And now we're... Co- carrying around uh, iPhone Pros. So, you know, it, 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 it is bizarre, though. Completely bizarre. Oh, no doubt the, about des- it. the description is just, like, all over the place weird. 100%. It's a freak wow. show. Wow, that was unbelievable, Kevin. Sand, the Sandown Clown. Well, I have to say that... Uh, I'm not going to follow with anything close to Sam the Sandown Clown. (laughs) Again, I got to reinforce. I'm going to put the picture, the artist's depiction of this guy up on uh, the website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, under this episode, 143. And folks, take a really close look at it. You'll see a lot of the detail that they describe when you start to really look at this picture. Incredible. Incredible. And... uh, you know, it was interesting uh, that I mentioned the word synchronicity at the beginning of the podcast because this account, to me, has a certain synchronicity to it, as you'll hear. Uh, and there are other accounts that kind of come to my mind or in the recesses of my mind that have certain synchronistic events uh, around them, and what the meaning is of them, I have no idea. Uh, and what the meaning of this is that you're going to hear from uh, Henry Winkleman, uh, I don't know, but I give it to you as I receive it. And this is what this is quite a gruesome discovery. Let's put it that way. Uh, that was brought to my attention by Henry Winkleman, a resident of Alberta. And this is what Henry and his hunting partner found on the hunt for elk. By the way, I think they were in the, yeah, they were, he's going to start off here that they were in the Otter Tail Range. So if you folks know where that is, you can chime in with us 
uh, at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Early in the fall of 2006, my partner Ed and I hiked into the Otter Tail Range in the hope of scoring a nice elk. After coming up empty, we spent the first night near the base of Fullman Mountain. We regrouped and began our day's hunt hiking towards Allen Peak, just to the south of Silver Slope Creek. We had set up on the side of a hill, overlooking what appeared to be a well-used game trail, and spent the next three hours sitting and waiting. We had seen some decent elk, but none to get excited about. At about 1.30, we packed up and started heading towards what we call the Fork, which were two tributaries coming off the southern end of Haskins Creek. Before I continue with what Ed and I found, I have to set the stage for you and your readers, for if I don't, this story will have no meaning. So here's the synchronicity coming into play. Several years earlier, my cousin Marilyn had come down with a severe illness. After a battle lasting close to a year, she was told that the end of, the, of this life was closing in. Marilyn and I were very close, like brother and sister. She had made a request of me, which was this. At the wake... She wanted me to make sure that I placed her favorite rosary in the casket. It was very unique and beautiful, handcrafted in Italy from onyx stones and silver. The crucifix on this rosary was backed in silver with an onyx overlay, and the corpus of Christ was in silver. The beads on the rosary were not round, as is usually the case, but were rather, in fact, flattened, which is most unusual as it pertains to a rosary. Now, here we go. And so it was that Ed and I were working our way into the timber in a location where neither of us had ever been. There was evidence here that a fire had taken place, perhaps decades earlier, as the sides of many of the trees were still charred from the flames. As we pressed onward, we came across a dilapidated shack in what appeared to have been at some point in time a clearing. The shack having somehow been spared by the fire which had occurred in the area. As we approached the structure, half of the roof had collapsed to the ground, with the side wall having given way to age and decay. Amazingly, the front door frame was still intact, but the left side of the wall, including part of the door's frame, had the appearance of having been torn open in order to widen it. In other words, the damage to this wall with it, with it appearing ripped open next to and including part of the door's jam, did not seem to be part of the natural process of the shack's overall decay. 
It looked to us as if it had been done by something or someone, but for what reason we did not know. This was about to change as we peered into this opening. We were confronted with what appeared to be a gigantic nest, a nest that was comprised of twigs, boughs, and leaves, and it covered almost the entire remaining interior of the shack's floor. Some of the pine boughs that this nest was made from were still green, indicating that whatever had placed them there had done so recently. It was an enormous nest, perhaps 15 feet or more in diameter, and three feet thick in its construction. It took up the entire interior, or what was left of it, and you could not enter without walking on top of it. It was virtually at the same time that we were looking at the nest that our eyes were drawn to a piece of hot pink fabric in the corner of the shack. Ed was the first to begin navigating his way over the nest. I had followed him, both of us anxious to see what this pink fabric was. We were now standing over the fabric, only to realize it was a pair of shorts on the torso of a human body. The appendages were missing but there was no flesh left on the bones, nor any odor emanating from what was left. The body had evidently been there for a long time. The hair was mostly still on the skull, some lying on the floor being very long, and the decayed remains of a college jersey were clinging to it, to what appeared to be a collapsed ribcage. These, to us, were the remains of a young female, without a doubt. I reached down to pick up the pink shorts, and when I did so, a small leather pouch fell out of the pocket onto the floor. The pouch was made of black leather, about three inches square, with a snap enclosure sealing the top of it. As I now had it in my hand, I opened the snap, pulling out its contents. It was the very same rosary I had placed inside of Marilyn's casket. A cold chill ran through my body, and Ed could see it in my eyes that something had happened to me when I saw the rosary and held it in my hand. I stepped outside to compose myself, and Ed followed me the two of us now standing outside of this shack. I began to tell him about my cousin's wake and the meaning that this rosary had to me and her personally. Now who knows just how many of these rosaries had been created by the artisan, but the fact that I had found one here that was apparently connected with the individual whose remains were in the shack was to me more than coincidental. We had a GPS and marked the coordinates of the location in order to report it. When we had made our way out and found ourselves at at the police barracks, I handed the rosary to the sergeant and and commenced to tell him our story. To Ed and I, this person appeared to have been 
in the woods. And there was no way in hell that this person would be in the woods where we were. This body had been brought there by someone or something, with the question remaining, who or what was it? What do you think of that, Kev? Wow. I see what you mean about the synchronicity. Yeah, just very, very, very bizarre. And, uh, you know, and that's why uh, you had to include this vivid description of this piece of jewelry. Because, like you say to yourself, <coughs> excuse me. He commented that it was very unusual in its design and that, like, what are the odds that he would have this experience with a family member and then find the same thing on this victim uh, in this little pouch? It's just really, really strange, you know? But the shack, this dilapidated, busted-down, collapsed wooden shack uh, that he had made the observation that, well, there was definitely a fire here. If you see charred trees, at some point there was a blaze. No doubt about it, and, yeah. And this thing made of dried timber at the time would have been consumed had it got over to it. But here we are with this nest again, this matting and layering of, uh, you know, it reminds me, Kev, remember a while ago we were talking about those guys in Alaska that found the fuselage of the airplane? Yes, yes. And the uh, even the door on that airplane, uh, the side hatch or whatever, the entry, to them looked like it was widened or jammed open. How how anything would have that strength is beyond me. And it was right. filled with all kinds of stuff. Yep. So, uh, I don't know. And why green, right? Green boughs. Obviously, some of the stuff in there was fresh. Yeah. So that is a freaking And a good, thing, comfy thing to lay down on. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're used to laying outside any type of man-made structure, uh, especially if it was in the, no the middle of nowhere. Heck, you know, we'll get to it someday, but I have a report from a guy, I think, in Pennsylvania that had something living in the second story of his barn. Mm. Uh, and we'll get to that somewhere down the road. But uh, these creatures seem to take advantage of whatever is given to them, much like a bird building a nest in the corner of a building, uh, you know, mice going in here, rats, raccoons. I got raccoons living under my shed outside. I got rabbits. Uh, so any no raccoons, but I got rabbits like crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, animals, uh, yeah. they just take advantage of whatever is in their domain. And... Uh, I, my opinion is Bigfoot would do the same thing. Caves, buildings, creating things, felled trees, making nests. It's just uh, in uh, the no natural sequence. It. Yeah, no doubt about it. Very wild stuff. Stuff. And again, up there in uh, the wild of uh, beautiful British Columbia. Yeah, the Otter Tail Range. Hmm. 
and uh, I don't quite know where that is. I'd have to look it up on a map. Or, yeah, it looks sort. like it's in a big national park up there uh, called, if I'm, if I think I'm correct, called the Yoho National Park of Canada, and it looks spectacular, you know, but really, really rural and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So really interesting. Uh, you know, Kevin, as we enter into our listener mail today, I told you that I had a handwritten note that was computer typed up and sent to me with a little gift. It was in uh, and handwritten on a computer by a freaky alien clown, was it? <laughs> with a round head. Sphere-like. Sphere-like and wooden slats coming out of its arms and pant legs. Exactly. <laughs> three three toed sloth like and three fingers. <laughs> run, children, at least, run. Listen, <laughs> at least it didn't pull out the box and the microphone and start singing the karaoke. <laughs> a little uh a little track from the police synchronicity album. <laughs> yeah. How about Dancing Queen by ABBA? That <laughs> might go with the costume. <laughs> Start dancing around the, the creek and the grass. Come on, kids. Join dancing in. Dancing Queen. <laughs> All right, I'm officially right. losing it. Yeah, yeah. Now, this uh, letter was sent to me by Rich, uh, who's another great listener of the show. I've had some interaction with him. Uh, Kev, I sent you pictures from Rich a while ago. He was a former logger for many years. Uh Uh-huh. You remember the pictures of uh, him and the boys up there in, uh, uh, I think it was B.C. and uh, Alaska? With the heavy equipment and stuff like that. Oh, just incredible, you know, and... uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Rich also sent us the pictures of those footprints in Idaho. Yep. So he's got a house, uh, I think, in uh, Washington State and one in Idaho. Uh, and that's where he found those footprints in the deep snow. And, of course, you know, he didn't say they were Bigfoot. He wasn't sure what he they were. He wasn't sure what they were, were right? Because they weren't quite fresh. They might have been a few days old, but... So, you know, well, you had were, some melting and refreezing going on, as I recall. Yeah, he said, I think he said that the initial snowfall was four to five feet. Right. And then by the time he made it back over there, he said if he fell through the crust, it would come up to like his groin. Yeah. So it was now down to like three feet. Yeah. But he had those inline prints going around here and then. He wasn't sure if it was a moose or possibly a Bigfoot, but... Yeah, it I just a lot like the bigger fact than a moose, uh, the footprints, yeah. Yeah, well, it did to me, too. But in other words, Rich isn't jumping to any conclusions. He's just yeah, throwing yeah, it yeah. out there. Yep, good stuff. So he, sa- he says, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I teach a preparedness class every Monday night. The goal of the class is to help the students prepare for any emergency or disaster. After all, we live next to an active volcano, Mount Baker. The class recently finished building solar battery boxes out of a rolling ice chest, car battery, and a solar panel. You could use it to charge 
your rechargeable lights, radio, and can plug in a 12-volt electric blanket so you'll be warm at night if the power is out. I'm always prowling around the local stores for things that I can recommend to the class. This week's class will be on non-electric tools. As I was checking prices on hatchets and multi-tools, I found this Sasquatch multi-tool, and I thought of you. I have several of these flat card-type tools that I keep in various places, like first aid kits. Surprisingly, they come in handy. I noticed that this one has a bottle opener, and I'm sure after opening a case of beer bottles, you might have a sighting of the hairy man. Best wishes and prayers for you and your family, Rich. P.S. Just wait until I do a class on always carry more gun (laughs) than you think you're going to (laughs) need. That's awesome. It's a great field correspondent we got there. We got a bunch of those, which we're grateful for. Yeah, and interesting character, interesting life. Uh, And these are the types of people, not all of them, but there's a lot of them who uh, are involved uh, with in some way, shape, or form or have interest in uh, the Bigfoot phenomena. Pretty cool, huh? Awesome, awesome. Love that. And yeah, we take handwritten letters. You gotta, you gotta talk to my brother on the phone to get his uh, PO box. Uh, we don't, we don't publish that. But you gotta be an insider to get that. <laughs> Which really anybody can be. An insider. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be willing to talk to him. You know, I mean, Jace. Yeah. I don't have the PO box, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, we got some more traditional listener mail that came in via the website, which we love, folks. So this first one came in from Michael in Massachusetts, or as our old friends from uh, Car Talk would say, Michael in Ma. (laughs) And Michael writes, uh, hi, Kevin and W.J., Me and my water cooler Sasquatch buddy, Rodney. So first off, Bill, we all need a water cooler Sasquatch buddy, don't you think? (laughs) You know, really, uh, I don't think I currently have a water cooler Sasquatch buddy, and I'm a little disturbed by that. Yeah, closest I have is my daughter, which I'm grateful for. She, uh, She loves the cryptids, and... uh, if I catch her around the coffee pot in the morning, that, that's as close as I get to the water cooler Sasquatch buddy. <laughs> that is <laughs> but, funny. But, but he's, so he writes, me and my water cooler Sasquatch buddy Rodney love the show and listen every week. Rodney told me to listen to a podcast story called Treat that Kevin will like, I think. The reference is to the black-eyed children. And Kevin will love it. Keep up the great work, my friends. And WJ, I say prayers for your wife every day. Love ya. Mike from Auburn, ma. So thank you, Mike. (laughs) Ma. Uh, Exactly. I haven't listened to that podcast yet, but you know I can't get enough of the black-eyed children. Sir. I asked him, Kev, I, did I misread that? I asked him, how do we get that, what he was talking about? 
Oh, I'm did he just say in Google there it. like where to go? He didn't say where to go, you know. But we can find. Hey, Google is powerful. Yeah, um, Google is all powerful. You search on black-eyed children, you'll be surprised what you find. <laughs> yeah. But Bill, I was yeah. going to say, nothing to worry about. We just want to borrow your telephone. Can you let us in? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> boom! 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 boom. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Well, thank you, Michael and Ma. We can't get enough of the black-eyed children, as long as they're not showing up in my ring camera at my front door. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Looking through the camera as if they could see me as well as I can see them. <laughs> can you imagine looking through the ring camera and seeing that staring back at you? No. No, thank you. Just... I would rub my eyes. I'd rub my eyes a couple of times, and then I would load up. (laughs) (laughs) Get ready to throw some lead. (laughs) All right, our next letter comes in from Austin, and he says, Hey, guys, glad to be writing again, except this time with no spooky story to share. Just wanted uh-huh. to chime in on KJ's comment Comment when the Apaches started flying over. They do multiple uh-huh. training events throughout the year. And as a firefighter who works primarily with Marine Corps aircraft, I can definitely agree when you say you see them a million times a day, but you still have to catch a glimpse of them as they fly over. Growing up, my dad was an Air Force crew chief for C-130s, and he absolutely loved telling me about all the different aircraft he got to see and fly in while he was in the service. And now that I'm closing in on my service and my son is getting the age where he's noticing all the military aircraft flying over, I can't wait to tell him all about the different aircraft. I played around with during my time on active duty. Anyway, I'm getting out next week, and I have saved a handful of your podcasts for the long haul home. Prayers to your family. <laughs> so first off, Austin, thank you for your service. Thank your dad for yeah. his service, too. And uh, my brother and I can relate to what you're talking about. My dad had us uh, looking up at the sky since we could tip our heads up uh, and telling us all about the planes that were flying over and showing us pictures and stuff like that. And now we're both aficionados. It's a great gift. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And it's just another thing in life, uh, aside from some of the nonsense that we've bombarded with that actually has some meaning and some science behind it. And uh, Kev, you know, obviously you and I know, but the listeners don't know, our father was also a radio control model enthusiast. I'd have to say, Kev, based on his old, uh, his original radio before he got the more modern craft units and stuff, that thing was almost like a hand-built. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, he had to be in the, the the craft of RC model building like early on. Yeah, well, he said he flew them before uh, going into World War Two. So I would say that was on the front line of, you know, free flight aircraft and the very early uh, radio control where they had what were called escapements in them, 
where basically you had a switch and you push a switch three times and that made it turn to the right a little bit and you push a switch two times and it made it turn it to the left a little bit, you know, just with like rudder control, really primitive stuff. Yeah. Just uh, amazing. You know, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I don't think you know about this. When I was a little kid, uh, Dad took me to a hillside uh, covered in grass somewhere in Queens, the borough oh, of yeah. Queens. Yep. Now, I guarantee you, wherever this hillside was at that time, it is not there anymore. There's probably no chance of even knowing where it was. It's probably covered with buildings we walked up this hillside, and he had a hand-launch free-flight plane that had seen better days. Like, it crashed a few times. He fixed it. It's so long ago, Kev. I'm just yeah. telling you this, like, ad hoc story. And he put, like, a cherry bomb or <laughs> some kind of... Yeah, he put some kind of firework in it. Lit it and threw it off the hill, and it just blew up in the air. Holy mackerel. Yeah, and I remember that. I don't know how old I could have been. Maybe a few years old, if that. This distant memory of that event. and uh, Very cool. Just weird, you know? No, super weird. Yeah, yeah. But just cool very stuff. Strange. Anyways, the Austin it was, right, Kev? Yep, Austin. Fantastic, Austin, and we appreciate you chiming in, and obviously our show is a conversation. I mean, we could talk about a lot of things and still talk about Bigfoot and cryptids, so we appreciate 100%. you yep. ch- chiming in. And our last letter, Bill, this week comes in from Mike in New York, and the subject mm-hmm. is hockey teams and Bigfoot. And he writes, just listening to a recent show where you discussed the NHL's use of cryptids in the logos. And you spoke of the New Jersey Devils and the Seattle Kraken. And Mike (laughs) points out that additionally, the Colorado Avalanche use a Bigfoot footprint on the shoulders of their uniform, which is pretty cool. And he says, my daughter's peewee team in Binghamton, New York, uses a similar footprint for their logo. Love the show and keep up the good work. And, Mike, although I'm a hockey fan, it must be one of the, you know, all the teams now have like three or four different uniforms that they can wear. And I hadn't seen uh, the Bigfoot footprint. I hadn't seen the uniform or noticed the uniform with the Bigfoot footprint on the shoulders of the Avalanche. The one they typically wear has the uh, kind of the C that's from the state flag of Colorado. Uh, but I did Google it and saw some with the big footprint. They call it the Yeti footprint on the shoulder officially. So pretty cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out, Mike. We love yeah, hockey no, and we love cryptids. <laughs> and we love checking people into the boards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill. So that's it this week. Great podcast. Hey, folks. 
Thank you for all of those five-star reviews. If you haven't left us one lately, please leave us one or two today. Uh, Those five-star reviews are really the only means that we have of drawing new listeners to the podcast. And by getting new listeners, we can stay on schedule and also uh, continue to improve the quality of the podcast. And Lord knows we could use help on that front. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, please go out and buy one of my books, folks. And remember, if you should be traveling along through Saskatchewan and you run into something like the Craven Monster, you're going to be wishing one thing, my friend, that you always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.